This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship on Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. This is Lord of Life. There's a place for you here. For information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. The second lesson is from Ephesians chapter 4. I therefore, the prisoner in the, in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the un- unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. When it says he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower part of the earth? He was descended is, he was descended is the same time one who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all the things. The gifts he gave were the some who be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until all of us came to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children, tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine. But must you grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body growth in building itself up in love. Holy wisdom, holy word. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Wow, I never would have thought it of him. She sure had me fooled. We have all been disappointed at times when people who say fine things and impress us with their goodwill suddenly reveal patterns of behavior that just don't fit. Sometimes people we have liked and even trusted have let us down by the things they have done or failed to do. Friends who disappear when things go wrong in our lives 
And when we need their support, we call them fair-weather friends. In public life, we have had a rash of unwelcome surprises. Leaders we admired in government, business, the media, and the church have shocked us with everything from racial slurs to sexual harassment and indifference to those most in need. And these distressing revelations, whether in private or public life, lead us to consider the critical importance of character. Character is about the sorts of people we are, what values are part of us that shape our, the way we behave and the way we see the world. A character that is weak may be capable of hiding the fact that it is shallow for a time, but eventually it will likely disappoint. Jesus' emphasis upon the importance of character comes out in his well-known saying that the good tree bears good fruit. That is, a good character like a good tree bears the good fruits of love and justice. In the lives of individuals and in the life of the church, even the best character, as we know, is not, is not without flaws. That is life, this side of the perfection of God's future reign. When folks go to the Smithsonian Museum and come upon the famous Hope Diamond, they are often disappointed. It is certainly big, but it looks a bit dull. It does not have the same sparkle as smaller cut diamonds do. And so it is with the church and the world. It is big. It extends throughout the world, but it has its flaws, and it does not always sparkle as we would expect it to. And yet it is still diamond. That is to say, it is still the body of Christ in the world. The epistle to the Ephesians is a celebration of the church, the church that Christ has created through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It is about the character of the church and the fruits of that character. Two Sundays ago, we reflected on an earlier chapter in Ephesians that spoke of God's gracious inclusion of the Gentiles into the covenant and in so doing had broken down all past barriers and established radical inclusion as the essential part of the church's character. It is a given, then, that the church, by God's grace, is radically inclusive, despite the fact that tribal impulses to exclude certain folks still, still do infect the body. In last Sunday's reading from, epistle, from the Epistle of Ephesians, Paul offers a prayer that the church will be shaped in its inmost being, that is, its character, by the love of Christ. And the basis of that prayer, the reason Paul can feel confident in praying it, is the conviction that God is able to accomplish in the people of God more than we can ever imagine. It is that conviction, that trust in the power of God's creative grace that enables us to speak hopefully 
about the church's character. And there is much at stake. Much at stake because the good fruits of character shaped by Christ is an expression of the gospel, the hope of the world. It is the character of the Christian community to live in and for the gospel for the sake of the world. And today's reading gives us direction. First, we are told that it is essential to the church as a sign of the gospel to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. It is the nature of the demonic, by contrast, to cause division. Started in the Garden of Eden story, huh? When the, with the serpent tempting Adam and Eve to separate themselves from God by eating what was forbidden. And pretty soon they were at each other. The woman made me do it. Yeah. That was what Adam said, the first of many men, I suspect, who have said that. Eve, for her part, blamed the snake. Cain then killed his brother Abel, and we were on our way to a future of enmity, strife, and mayhem. So maybe it's not surprising, though certainly disturbing, that political opponents these days don't simply disagree about policy. They seem to hate one another. And the demographics of our land are many, in many respects the demographics of division, racial and ethnic divisions, economic divisions, religious extremes that exclude by nature rather than include. In stark contrast, God is the God of reconciliation and unity. The forgiveness of sins is all about healing the breaches and creating new and vibrant community fueled by unconditional love. This is the church's birthright in baptism, and its mission flows from that water of life. It is essential, essential that the church stand out against the prevailing evils of division and hostility and embody in its very character and life together a hope for true shalom, the full peace of unity. Disputes over non-essential doctrines and practices cannot, uh, cannot be allowed to tarnish the witness to Christ in whom God has reconciled all things. The world needs us to be a beacon of hope for healing the breaches of lovelessness. Ephesians goes on to remind us that, that God has given the church what it needs to fulfill this mission. It's it speaks of prophets, apostles, evangelists, pastors, and teachers whose call it is to equip the saints. The saints, the saints. That's you. That's you. You and the people of God everywhere with the, with the incredible variety of talents and aptitudes that all possess. The leaders God has provided exist to serve the ones who are the church, you and your sisters and brothers in the faith, who taken together are like a mosaic made of precious stones, each stone unique, but fit together with others to form a beautiful vision 
in which each one of us has a part. Think of this. Whenever we share the peace in our Sunday worship, as we do so, we can see ourselves congeal, congeal into a mosaic of mutual faith and love. To be the witness to God's unifying power of love also means that we need to be together. Empty chairs do not hug you with a word of peace, nor do they join you in confessing the faith and sharing the body and blood of the Eucharist. The character of the Church is the unity in variety, faithfully embodying and sharing the unsurpassing grace of the gospel. Before the Reformation, the Church was identified with the clergy and the bishops, the archbishops, the cardinals, and the pope. Luther's great breakthrough was to reverse that understanding. The Church is the communion of saints, the people of God. Clergy and other leaders are important, to be sure, but they exist only to serve the people. They are not the Church, and they do not fulfill God's mission for the Church. The people do. Well, finally, it is of of the character of the Church that in it the truth is spoken in love. Being truthful with others is the foundation of building trust. Being truthful serves justice and fairness. It is a witness that is urgently, urgently needed today. Now, of course, there's nothing new about lying. If you, uh, on other forms of dishonesty, if you Google lying, you will be greeted by an almost endless supply of references discussing lying in government, business, the media, marketing, and lying by children. There is even a website on the art of lying which presumably can help you be a better liar. So it's not new, but at times it seems that we have seen the practice raised to new heights and truthfulness brought down to new lows. And sadly, in the church, lying has been practiced when disputes over doctrines or practices lead to misrepresenting the opponent's words and beliefs. Luther complained bitterly that his opponents, instead of paying attention to his work, quote, devote all their energy to one thing, how they might shamefully twist and corrupt our words down to the very letter. Well, such mendacity shatters the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace that should be the hallmark of the church's character. The key to truthfulness in love, hard as it is sometimes, is when we confess our sinfulness in worship before God and each other. After that, there is nothing to hide, for we also know that our sins are forgiven and we find anew the unity, the unity of forgiven sinners equal in sin and equal in the grace of forgiveness. No other community on earth is founded on such a foundation.
And once again, it is the mercy of God flooding our life together that shapes the character of the church as a living statement of what God, whose love is all-powerful, can accomplish even among the likes of us. Thanks be to God. Amen.